This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 29, Chanting in Yoga and Kirtan. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I had the immense pleasure to sit down with Jai Yutal. Jai is a Grammy-nominated musician, a Kirtan artist, multi-instrumentalist, and a static vocalist. He is considered a pioneer in the world music community with his combined influences from India and American rock and jazz. He has been leading, teaching, and performing world music in Kirtan, which is the ancient yoga of chanting or singing to the god, if you didn't know, around the world for close to 50 years, creating a safe environment for people to open their hearts and their voices. As we get to the podcast, I always appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Once more, Atlara is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. So if you want to know more about our giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of our last giveaway. So if you left a comment, please stick till the end. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll love this episode, feel inspired and have a new perspective on chanting. Hi Jai, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Erica. It's a pleasure. So I heard about Jai's Kirtan a long time before I was able to attend in person, but the wait was totally worth it. The music itself was transforming or transporting as well. The performance was a mix of exciting yet calming at the same time, which is kind of strange. And it totally left me grounded, open and connected. So as soon as I was done, I knew I wanted to sit down with you so we can talk music, Kirtan and devotion. Does that sound like a plan? That sounds great, yeah. Awesome. So before we dig in that subject, can you tell us a bit about yourself for people that don't know you very well um, and your music journey? Uh, yeah, I can. It's hard <laughs> It's hard to sum up a life in, in a couple of sentences. But um, I was born in New York in 1951 in a, in a musical family. My father was in the music business. And um, yeah, so every week when I, was, when I was little, he would bring home the top 20 singles from the from the local radio stations and we would listen to them and that's amazing uh, yeah yeah it was amazing and and he would ask my sister and I our opinions which were probably useless but <laughs> nonetheless he was interested you know because he wanted to know what younger ears heard anyway so I started uh taking piano lessons when I was I guess six or something like that and after a while, I got sick of that, and and I found my first true love, which was banjo. Mm. And and in a way, I, you know, in retrospect, I feel like that's when my journey into bhakti yoga began. Even though at the time I still didn't have a context for it, but what I found suddenly in in that I hadn't found in the, you know in my lessons on piano and stuff, I found that as I would strum the strings, I would I would feel a sense of refuge and and you know, a sense of safety that I had never felt before. Mm. So I, I dived into the banjo and old-timey Appalachian music. And, you know, time went on. I, I uh, auditioned for a music high school, the New York High School of Music and Art, and I auditioned on the banjo, which was kind of funny, but I got in. And, <laughs> and, and well, then I started to... to you know, I was really, of course, into the to the rock and roll and pop music of of the time. This was, you know, the mid '60s. But I started to get fascinated by anything Indian and and anything and everything Indian, I should say. And I, uh, you know, I started 
pouring through all the record stores at the time, Nonesuch and Folkways, all the kind of like not mainstream record stores. Of mm-hmm. course, most of your listeners now won't even know what a record store is. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like so vital, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I would get the most obscure albums of Indian music that I could find, and um, both the classical music and and uh, folk music. And then I went to college, but I. I only stayed in college for like the first semester. I I dropped out. I failed music. I failed religion, which were my two passions at the time. And I guess still are not religion, but spirituality. And I came down to the Bay Area and began studying Indian music with Ali Akbar Khan, who is, was, you know, perhaps the greatest musician in the world. He died around around 10 years ago, and and my relationship with him was pivotal in my life. I studied on and off with him for about 40 years and um, became very close to him and his family. And, uh, you know, I'd say he really molded me as a musician, even though what I do is is certainly not Indian classical music. music. Mm -hmm. And then in, in 1970, I believe it was, I went to India for the first time and met my guru named Crowley Baba. And I was 19, and I think that's when all the the threads of my life sort of came together in, into, into one, uh, I don't know, knot. But that knot is, a, I don't mean that in the negative sense, you know, it's just they all came together in one tapestry mm-hmm. and and I saw or I was shown that that my passion for music and and also my sense of music as a refuge uh, went hand in hand with the practices of bhakti and the practices of devotion and you know that I was exposed to a lot of kirtan singing and I and and music of all sorts on my several you know many trips to India, and well I, I guess you know that's probably the end of the story. Even though that was 1969 <laughs> um, or 1970, that from then on bhakti and music became my life journey. Now I. It's not to say that from the age of 19, everything was smooth smooth and cool and groovy. I, I went through a lot of different phases in my life, including, you know, pretty bad drug addiction and um, alcoholism and, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. And thankfully, thank God, I'm out of that for quite a while now. And But, but still through it all, the thread... That kept me, um, I guess I could even say that kept me alive, was this thread of mantra and devotion. Mm-hmm. So for you, Kirtan is, is part of your practice of devotion in a it, big yeah, way? It, it's, yeah, it's like the heart of it. Mm-hmm. So for people that have never heard the word Kirtan before, would you explain what it means or what it is, what they can expect if they would just show up out of the blue? Yeah, uh, I've heard so many literal translations of the word Kirtan that that differ from each other. So I'd rather just sort of explain what it is. Yeah. And, you know, basically it's the call and response repetition of, of very simple mantras, but with, you know, with full music and with full rhythm and with full heart and full passion. 
the mantras that we sing in Kirtan are uh, specifically names of God and names of goddess. Because in bhakti, bhakti yoga, we long for and try to find and just, you know, live a, a very, very personal connection with, with spirit. And so the mantras that we sing are, are personal. They're just names, you know, like uh, if you're calling your beloved, you got to know his name mm-hmm. or her, her name. So in Kirtan, you know, it can start slow and be, you know, kind of meditative and peaceful. Well, well the whole thing is meditative, but, but it can be very, you know, build up to passionate heights and, and tempos and, and uh, different melodies, you know, and, and in India, traditionally, it's sung with a harmonium and uh, some kind of hand percussion. But even still, you know, the, the melodic and um, rhythmic vari- variations are, are like unlimited. Here, well, I sometimes do kirtan just like that with a harmonium and uh, either tabla or madangam, you know, Indian drums. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I also often do kirtan with guitar and with a full band. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the essence of, of the practice is the same. It's, um, you know, repeating these mantras, trying to, as much as we can, to dig into the, you know, the well, the oil well of feelings that's in our heart and, and singing them with our full spirit. Mm-hmm. Why is it a call and response format? What's the goal of that type of format? Well, I should say that kirtan is not always call and response. Mm. It's it's more often than not call and response, and it and it, it's the way I like it more. Uh, well, for one very, you know, mundane reason, you can you can make a chant go longer because mm-hmm. you know because you're singing and then you take a moment break and then you're singing again versus sure. uh, singing every repetition of the mantra together. Another reason is you can um, create more uh, melodic varieties. You know, you can, you can have it evolve melodically and rhythmically with one person being the quote leader unquote and the rest being the responders. Mm-hmm. There's another aspect of, of simply, you know, when I'm singing the call, it's an outward, uh, I'm like reaching outward. And then when I'm, when the, the group is seeing the response. I'm just taking it in. It's like a breath out and a breath in and a breath out and a breath in where the listening of the mantra is as important as the singing of the mantra. You know, the, the people can do kirtan in many, many, many different styles. And that that's part of what I think is the beauty of it. And everyone who comes to a kirtan has a very unique and different experience. And yet at the same time, as we're all singing, Everyone is sharing their their own individual passion and individual uh, longing and, and joy or anguish, you know, whatever that is. And it all, you know, we feed each other and, and create this great calling to the divine. Mm. And why specifically do we choose to sing mantras or why are we using Sanskrit a lot of the time? Well... You know, I, I think, or my experience is that, that number one, singing of any kind is, is just such a beautiful, freeing, opening thing to do. And you know, we, we see it, kids. Kids are always singing. 
But as we grow grow older, particularly in this culture, you know, we get divided into the singers and the listeners. Mm-hmm. And you know, for most of my life, or or I should say, for a good part of my life, I was a listener. I was I was really not a singer. I was afraid to be a singer. But gradually, that changed, and so that so just the fact of singing is very uplifting and and inspiring and opening. Then, if we add to that repetition, repetition. Well, I, I think in every spiritual practice around the world. Okay, I mean, this is a big thing to say, and I'm probably wrong, but repetition is a part of almost all meditative practices, whether it's repetition, you know, watching the breath or repetition of a mantra or, or so many, so many things, because the repetition allows the mind to sort of calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Sanskrit is an ancient, ancient language designed, created, uh, or maybe I should say uh, channeled as a transformative language, as a, as a language that transforms and transcends and uh, evolves the human being's inner world. Mm. There are other languages and there are other approaches to, to repetitive prayers and, and repetitive uh, songs that I won't say are less powerful. I can only say that for myself, the Sanskrit words have just like opened up like this beautiful journey of, of healing and, and connection within me. They, it's like the words themselves have become my lifeline. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, okay, Sanskrit is better than any other language, so that so you should sing Sanskrit. It's just that in this tradition, that's what we sing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And before you mention how it can be meditative or it has that feeling of it, how does that happen? Is it that the chanting affect the energy or is it the intention behind? Well, uh, on one hand, I think everything sort of revolves around the intention. But the practice itself, well, for you know, we we think often we think of the word meditative as being quiet and still and and silent, but that's only one kind of meditation. The the meditation in kirtan is is full of energy and full of emotion and full of even physicality, you know, because uh, we're singing and the words put the mind into a meditative state and the repetition of the words, put the mind in, you know, like effort, effortlessly into a meditative mm-hmm. state. And at the same time, we we're, we feel, you know, more and more and more widening of our emotional scope, which is usually pretty narrow. Because uh, as we sing, the, the feelings just fuel each other, fuel itself and fuel the prayer. So, you know, it can be really fun and really, you know, I don't know what's, what's the word. Just ecstatic, and at the same time, uh, the mind has bec- has become acquired or a locale, and uh, it give, which gives the heart more freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Is that why there's no applause between songs, and it's more like space for you to sit with that? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. But sometimes there's applause, and <laughs> applause, mm-hmm. and that's sweet, also. You know, but I think you know people who really get deeply into kirtan, approach it as a practice. And and so 
the performance aspect of it, well, it's there. You know, you're trying to do a beautiful, uh, you know, expression through music and song. But the the more important aspect of it is is the in, this inward journey and each person there is on their own inward journey so so it's not like well some people might be depending on me for their experience but mm-hmm. those practitioners who have been you know doing it a lot for many years realize that they are responsible for their own experience and we're all like doing this group practice together the fact that i'm leading it doesn't make me more important mm. than, or and it doesn't make me less important either it's just i'm just one spoke of this you know incredibly divine wheel mm. that's so nice um if we see it as a practice the way you mention it what are some other benefits of that type of practice <laughs> <laughs> uh, i want to sell it to people that i've never been you know i'm trying to but you know uh <laughs> Erica, I've never tried to sell Kirtan. I, I mean, I mean, let me rephrase that. I try to sell my albums, you know, and I hope more people come to my concerts. But, but as a practice, uh, I sing from, you know, I. Wow, it's like I sing for my own self healing and to share this practice with others who are drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the benefits? <sighs> I. I could just say for myself that. Yeah, in your experience, how has it changed the way you experience life? Well, I, I feel like I live my life from my heart. Mm. I, I feel like, although I forget it all the time, <laughs> I'm actually completely surrounded by grace and by by the gifts of my guru. Um, I feel in times of of you know deep. Distress. I, I have a just right there, right here, something that I I can do that channels my feelings and channels my emotions and calms me. I feel, you know, everything. I feel like it. It's given my life a meaning, and I and and my life work is to share it with others. I, you know, I, I can't really say what the benefits are because because <laughs> it pervades everything that I do. Yeah. I get that. I mean, it is better understood just through direct experience. Yes, that, that's for sure. Where can people assist live? Do you have any upcoming events people could jump in and well, come experience yeah, I, it? I have so many events all, all the time. So I would I would suggest or ask you know that people go to my website. Okay, I'll put all the links for them to find. Okay, yeah, and, and just you know join on the website and get to receive my newsletter, which you know, tells where I'll be and what the event will be like. And then, you know, Google Kirtan events in your area. And, and these days, I'm sure that, that something's going to come up. There's so many people singing Kirtan. <laughs> some of them, you, I say you, I'm not meeting you, Erica, but, you know, all of you. Some events and some singers you might really love and some events and some singers you might not. And that, as far as I can see, is totally natural because, you know, you resonate with the people who kind of vibrate in the same way you do. Of course. And we do our, our twice a year Kirtan camps where we dive very deeply into the practice and, and where I encourage people so much. Like if, if they're interested, you know, I don't push people, but if they're interested, I, I encourage people at our camps to, to 
find a way to make this your own personal practice. Mm. Like like in your own home, whether you play an instrument, whether you consider yourself, you know, devoted or not, or whether you think you have a good voice or a bad voice, none of that matters because it's 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 a practice that is that you know, a seed becomes planted and then you daily water that seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you go to a public event, Kirtan, not only do you, you know, like resonate with it bigger and faster and more so, you also bring more to it that that all the people around you share. You know, it's a sound vibration. Uh, well, <laughs> You know, it's many things, but one thing is it's it's a sound vibration and and everyone who hears that sound gets touched by that vibration. So uh, I'm a fan. Mm. (laughs) So the camp itself is not for anyone in particular. It's really open to everybody. Oh, it's totally open to everyone. It's for anyone who feels drawn to this practice and wants to experience it more and learn more. Some people come because they want to lead Kirtan and they want some guidance in that direction. Some people come, you know, because they're musicians and they want to learn how to apply their music to devotional yoga. And but but probably the majority of people come just because they're they've experienced kirtan and want to experience it more. Mm-hmm. I was considering to joining the next one. So you should. Yeah. You got to. <laughs> I got my first. I just bought a harmonium for myself when I traveled to India a couple of weeks ago. So I'm pretty excited to dive into. Yeah. In our summer camp, we do harmonium instruction. Mm. Um, winter camp, le- less so because we usually, you know, travel to some tropical awesome place. But summer camp is in the Bay Area, and everybody brings their harmoniums. Everyone who's got them, who's interested in, brings harmoniums, and and we, you know, we break into groups. And um, one of our co-teachers, Pragnia Vieira teaches the beginning aspects of harmonium and I make sure everybody learns how to play at least one or two songs. And it's so much fun. Mm, That sounds like a lot of fun. What would you tell people that might think they're interested, but you kind of mentioned it a little bit before they think they can't sing, you know, like there's the singer and listeners, or they've been told their whole life that they just have a horrible voice. How do you just go past that and do it anyway? Well, well that, that's, you know, one of, that's been one of my life challenges. I grew up being indoctrinated into the belief that I had a terrible voice and that I was too intelligent to play the guitar. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never heard that before. <laughs> you know, that's a direct quote from one of my parents. And, um, and so like, I really, really struggled with that. And, you know, I, I sang, well, well, I, you know, got into yoga and, bhakti yoga when I was a teenager and I sang kirtan with groups not leading but you know just like as part of a group so that gave me a little taste of singing and then while I was studying Indian music with Ali Akbar Khan he insisted that everyone who studied with him whether they were studying percussion or sitar or sarod any of the Indian classical instruments they all had to study voice too Mm. and at the time not many of us wanted to do that uh, but but he said that all music comes from the voice, and I won't teach you an instrument if you don't start learning <laughs> a, a little about it singing. So so I did, you know, um, with a lot of resistance. And I, <laughs> when I was practicing the ragas, 
at home, I, I had to make sure that none of my housemates were there. And I had to look out the window and make sure the neighbor wasn't there either. <laughs> uh, so, but I, but I started to get this little taste of, of what singing did to my insides, uh, like a little awareness of this whole wholeness and, uh, you know, uh, of me. And then when I went to India first trip and met my guru and and he told us to sing kirtan all the time. He would always, us being Westerners, he'd always tell us, go to the other side of the, the temple and, and sing kirtan. And none of us knew what we were doing, but but we got into it. And then a, a couple of things happened, and I, I'm not going to go into all all of that, but I guess I could say I had my fir- first like heartbreak and, and found that singing, uh, I could, it was the first sense I had of, of all this pain inside of me mm. that, that channeled into the singing. And it wasn't heartbreak from a girlfriend. It was, it was one day my guru disappeared. He left where we were, didn't say where he was going and didn't say when he would be back. And I didn't even at that point think of him as my guru yet. But when I got there and saw that he wasn't there and you know, I was no longer welcome in the back of the temple. It was like my heart broke. And then I started singing Kirtan and and something different just happened. And so from that point, it was a long journey before I felt like I could actually sing in front of people. And, you know, I would do it and I would stop and I would be, I would freak out. I was so, so self-critical and so nervous, but I felt you know, and this is kind of a dramatization, but I felt like, okay, Jai, it's either sing or die. Mm. And it, not literally die, but, you know, on the soul level. And so I started singing and, and it was not easy for me. And that's also, you know, during that time, I, I got so much into substance abuse because I was, you know, every time I sang, I, I felt like I was naked in front of everyone and and I couldn't deal with it. But finally, I got sober, and and I, I'll say that to this day, I see. I love your question because this is the question to this very day. When I sit down to sing, I still hear a thousand voices telling me, "Jai, you have a terrible voice. Don't sing. Mm. Do something else." And and yet, I found out, or I was shown that you know, how important singing is to my spirit. So I look at, I listen to those voices and I say, back, back down, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm singing now. And, and if you don't like it, well, tough. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm talking to myself, right? Sure. So I feel, you know, because of this, I feel that I'm very able to help people with this, with the same issue. Um, it's not like suddenly you're not afraid to sing anymore, but that you can move forward despite the fear or with the fear or, or, or with the self-criticism and self-judgment. Um, and, you know, and that's without it being like a group therapy, that's a lot of what happens at Kirtan camp. But it's done in a, you know, it's very gentle and it's very um, supportive. And, and I never make somebody sing by themselves if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But, but I asked nicely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. 
it can be hard to separate devotion and religion, I think, sometimes. So what would you say to people for whom it feels odd or inauthentic to chant to God or goddesses in a language maybe they don't understand, to a religion, or to even if they don't have a practice yeah. that's religious in their life? Well, to answer that question, I'll share a story from, I think it was maybe our third or fourth winter kirtan camp in Guatemala. And, you know, it's a beautiful space there that we used to go to. And we were singing and talking and sharing. And somewhere around the third day, a woman, I didn't know her, you know. I mean, I knew her just from those two, three days, but I didn't know her before. She raised her hand and she said that she was an atheist and that she was having really a hard time singing to all these deities, particularly uh, elephant deities, monkey deities, blue skin <laughs> gods, many armed goddesses. I was taken aback a little bit at, at first. And I, you know, what I wanted to say was, well, what are you doing here? But I didn't say that, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> and instead I asked her, well, you know, what are you experiencing? What's happening? Like, tell me, okay, I got your, I got the question. I got the thought, but, but what, what are you feeling in your emotions and your body tell me like let, let's talk about it so she said well first of all she considers herself to be a not very emotional person and and to have a very you know like like to be kind of um i don't know you know one level emotionally and and now she said well I, you know i find myself laughing i even find myself thinking about things and then i start crying you know i'm just like I'm just a mess, kind of. And and then she said, also, I'm very bad at, at meeting people and making friends. I, I, you know, I have a big wall around me, around that. And I don't really like to get uh, close to people until I've known them for, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. She said, but now each person here, I, I'm having the most deep, heartfelt, vulnerable conversations with. It's like, I, I've never had that before. And, and, meeting each person so deeply and and it feels great and then she said also I, i'm a city girl and i don't really like nature so where we were in guatemala was at a place called lake atitlan and it's all mm -hmm. you know there's no there's no roads around where we were it's all trails and uh jungle and lake it's like mountains it's just heavenly and she said and now I just, I'm just amazed at, at everything I see, at, you know, the trees, the lake, everything just kind of blows my mind how beautiful it is, how beautiful nature is. And, uh, you know, and it, 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 she actually went on with more things. I said, look, uh, you should be the poster girl for, for Kirtan, <laughs> you should, uh, the poster girl for Bhakti, for devotion. And I, and I said, you know, belief systems... You know, mental belief systems are important in our lives. They, they, you know, keep us on a certain track and, and give us a certain sense of who we are. And yeah, I would never say that they're not important. But what's more important than mental belief systems is the experience of the heart and the experience of the body. And the captain has to be the heart, not the mind. Mm. I, I would, I never believe or agree with people who say, you know, like they got to shut down their mind and just live by their heart. I, 
I don't think that's correct because the mind is it's part of us. It's very, very huge part of us. But it doesn't have to be the one who's absolutely in control. Um, so I try, you know, to to lead myself by my own heart. And that's what I said to her. I said, you know, that's so cool. If you believe there's no God and you're an atheist, I have no problem with that. But I'm so happy that you are are actually experimenting with this practice and finding so much um, uh, treasure in it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say, you know. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great story. It was a great thing that happened. It was a great conversation. And it really, uh, I think it's so relevant for so many people. Yeah. And then, you know, and of course, if someone comes to Kirtan uh, several times and they really feel like it's inauthentic for them and they can't get into it and they don't like it, I would say, please don't come again. <laughs> you know, you know, find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've talked about the vibrational importance of Sanskrit a bit before, and I wanted to ask before we finish, do you think it's important for people to also know the English translations of the chants? Yeah, I do. Um, um, I think that learning the English translations of the chants is sort of a lifetime journey, at, at least at least for Westerners, because you know every mantra that we sing has so many meanings and has so many interpretations and different levels of understanding mm-hmm. so, so i think that the the quest to understand what the chants mean it never ends it's not like okay now i know the translation so now i'm good i think that it, it is an inquiry that like for myself at least that is continuous um but i think yes from the very beginning The words and the practice have a lot of power, even if you don't know what they mean. But it, but it's also a little weird to be singing something over and over and over again that you have no idea what it means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think the mind rebels against that with, you know, good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, so I always, well, maybe not always, but almost always, I explain the words to a chant before we do it. Mm, yeah. Even to even to people who have been chanting these mantras for, you know, for 30 years, I still go through the meanings again. They might discover something new that day. They might hear it differently or they might be in their life in a place where it means something different. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's great. And for myself too, you know, as I describe what the words mean, often it, it will just hit me in a, in a different way, mm. you, you know, like open up something else. You know, I, I also, What I love to do and what we do it at our camps and, and sometimes week, even weekend retreats, not always because there's not enough time, but I tell some of the very long stories of, of the Hindu tradition, um, you know, the epic, epic tales. And in bhakti yoga, that is one of the practices, like kirtan is one of the practices and, and storytelling and listening mm. of what they call the, the, the leelas, the, you know, the avatars, the, the, the adventures of God and goddess in material form on earth it, they're the stories are so uplifting and so well they're really fun and also they're really dramatic and um you know so much jewels of of wisdom in them mm-hmm. do you have a favorite chant um my my favorite chant changes you know like, like when you say chant you mean mantra or melody uh mantra well i guess yes um The mantra that I 
always go back on is is the mantra that my guru gave me, and that's just the simple word Ram, mm. which which means God. I, uh, of course, there's a lot of other meaning around that word, and and um, you know, as I was saying before, I don't like to just reduce it to the you know the the bottom line essential meaning, but that's what it is, and and um, yeah, so. I would say that would be my favorite mantra to say, and it's such a simple one. And in a melody, it comes in different forms. Yeah, I've, I've heard there's it many so many. Ways. Yeah, so many different melodies and so many different moods. You know, uh, really, different melodies evoke different moods, and sometimes you could be singing with you know such lightheartedness and joy, and other times you could be singing you know with really deep, deep uh, angst, I guess, mm. and and yet singing the same mantra. So the melody adds on to the intention, would you say? I would. You know, uh, music, just music of any sort connects really immediately to, to, the, to the emotions and to the feelings. And so the music combined with the mantra, you know, it just awakens so much. It's very powerful and, and super wonderful. And I guess it changes the meaning of the mantra a little bit too, depending on... Well, it changes the experience of the mantra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we finish? Um, my website, you're, you're going to give that. Yeah, right? I will. And yeah. just, just that. Is that the, base, the best place for people to find you on, on your website directly? If they want to connect, say hello, or they want to work with you? Well, I guess a website or Instagram. Okay, great. Uh, Facebook a little bit less, you know, um, but I'm also easy to find. If you go to my website, it, it you know there's a direct link to send an email to me, and it goes to me. Perfect. I do a lot of events, and I do also a lot of events with my wife Nubia, um, which we had on the episode previously to talk about devotion to lead ourselves into this episode. Yeah. So so you can find <laughs> events with just me, but also events with me and she and and. Well, I, you know, what can I say? We, we're always giving our all, and well, that's the best that, best that we can do. Well, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. We have other amazing guests coming up, including Jeremy Falk, Tiffany Cruikshank, and Jane Austen, just to name a few. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Now, if you want to make my day, you want to help other people find this podcast or get your chance to win a $75 shop cart from Atleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone, scroll down and click write a review. As you write your review, you automatically enter our giveaway and I announce the winner on the next episode. There's nothing more to do. If you're newer to reviews, you can check out the show notes for more detailed instruction and for more info about our guest of today, Jayutal, or visit my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast for those two things. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is iTunes user Yoga with Donna. She said, hi, Erica. I love your episode with Nubia. It was so awesome to be able to listen to one of my beloved teachers in the comfort of my own home. I've not been able to go to Nubia's asana classes in the last couple weeks, and it's a treat to have her on the show. Keep up the great content. Well, thank you so much, Yoga with Donna, for your comment. See, guys, it's that simple. 
Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Now, before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background of the podcast, creating the music, editing, and mastering. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us. Until next time.